Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. Isaiah chapter 4 verse 1 says, Seven women shall take hold of one man. Seven women shall take hold of one man. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the two types of believers, the mere professor versus the true possessor of a relationship with the great bridegroom, which involves a relationship, as we mentioned. Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they, he's praying to the Father, might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who thou hast sent. John 17, 3. Now, please explain what kind of relationship is based on the participation of only one of the parties. I can tell you what kind of relationship that is. That's a non-existent or dying relationship. The eternal security people are self-serving. They could care less about Jesus, but rather wish to use him to get them out of hell without any kind of real and substantial one of substance and abiding fruit-bearing union relationship with Jesus, the bridegroom, who speaks of that relationship in John 15 and how we abide in him after being saved and it produces fruit without fail. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. It's an actual progression upward of more and more fruit in that order. Fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And you'll see that progression in that order in John 15. 15 as you go in your Bible and read it and underline those words. So it seems this is what the Holy Spirit is getting at. And let's look into that a little bit. Let's talk about it. When he led Isaiah the prophet to pen these words that seven women shall take hold of one man. Now, what is he getting at here? Let me read the whole verse. And, and in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. You see, in Israel in those days, and is still the same way in different cultures, is that being without a husband and being barren, having no children, is considered to be a curse. So only let us be called by thy name and take away our reproach. In other words, the reproach that we feel because we don't have a husband, but we will earn our own money or provide or eat our own bread. We won't require you to provide that. We'll take care of that. And we will wear our own apparel. So these two, actually two verses before this, this is Isaiah 4.1 in Isaiah 3.25, the 
the scripture tells us of the men of Israel being killed off due to the wars. It says, thy men shall fall by the sword and thy mighty in the war. So there was a shortage of men. And while this is physically speaking of the loss of the men of Israel, there's a deeper prophetic conveyance here to us in this late hour. And the New Testament says they are written, these things in the Old Testament, for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. So let's explore the phrase, the sentence, seven women shall take hold of one man. In other words, these women described above and in that statement wanted to be married to a man, but they would do their own thing within that marriage arrangement instead of relationship. They didn't want any responsibility to the man, but rather just wanted the reproach of being an old maid, as some would call it, removed from their lives. Mere professors are self-serving instead of savior-serving in the spiritual sense. The seven women spoken of here are like many today who merely want an arrangement with the great bridegroom, yet don't want, that's Jesus, don't want a real relationship, which involves the unreserved, the reckless abandonment of self, the giving of oneself to the other party, but rather they want simply the benefit of the removal of the reproach, the scourge of being without that bridegroom or husband and the possibility of bearing fruit or children. Like the five foolish virgins of Jesus's parable of the 10 virgins, these counterfeits refuse the responsibilities of a relationship, a real relationship, and therefore forfeit the virtue, the blessing, the substance enjoyed by those who have a real relationship with the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. So this is a prophetic utterance concerning the church and the two types of people in the church, those that profess. I'm not talking about a church building, friends. I'm talking about those who claim to be Christians. There's a division between the wheat and the chafe Jesus spoke of. The tares in the last days where some were real and others had a mere form of godliness. Remember, we're talking about real possessors of the kingdom of Christ, of a relationship with him versus the mere professors. In fact, Titus 1.16 says that they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and unto every good work reprobate. So many today who were initially saved say in their hearts, basically like these seven women who merely wanted the the last name of the man in marriage, but they didn't want a real relationship. And again, so many who have been saved, you know, through their own neglect of seeking God, of forgetting God, ultimately those that forget God will be turned into hell, Psalm 9 verse 17. But they basically say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me, but I will live the rest of my life on my own terms. I'll do as I please. Don't bother me with that cross you told me I must take up daily in denial of self and crucifying of the self. Don't bother me with that. But I will be expecting a crown in the end. They say in their hearts, I'll do what I please. And that's why I simply want an arrangement and not a real marriage, a real relationship and the associated involvement, unquote. That's kind of a little bit of a taste of what is said in the heart of the mere professor. Notice how these seven arrangement brides, if you will, say, quote, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel, unquote. There in Isaiah 4, 1, our main text in this message. In other words, we'll make our own money and buy our own food and clothes. We don't need you too involved in our lives other than a, an occasional hookup when it's convenient, unquote. Yet 
unless we seek and ingest the bread of heaven, friends, the word of God himself and his written word, how can we be nourished? How can our vessels, our lamps be full of his divine virtue, the oil of his presence to make it to the bridal chamber of eternal glory with the great bridegroom in this dark fallen world? How? How? That's a big question. Remember, there were 10 virgins, five were shut out of the kingdom or out of the bridal chamber because they ran out of oil. They did things their own way. They didn't do things God's way. See, friends, the only way to follow Jesus is on his stated terms and no other. I mean, I don't know about you, but my dad was boss, okay? He was big and he was the boss. What he said went growing up, and that's a great lesson that children need to learn under the headship of the father. Christ is the head of the man and the man is the head of the wife. And the man is the head of the family, non-negotiably. And when you have a man that is principled and takes responsibility to lead his family correctly, you're going to have those children learning to submit to authority. And they're going to know the benefit and the safety of it. They could sleep well at night knowing daddy will always provide food, sustenance, clothing, and protection. And therefore, they rest very well. It's a fact that children without a father in the home do not rest well. They're scared because the masculine gender is there to protect them when he is there. But when he's not there, they fear for their own safety and provision naturally and very understandably. See, Jesus's parable of the 10 virgins, which has never been more relevant than it is in this late hour that we find ourselves in. I want to encourage you to read that Matthew 25, 1 through 13. So also mere professors represented by the seven women here, they say, we will wear our own apparel. And that would be spotted garments, if you will, which the scripture gives the imagery of many times. Of this, uh, Isaiah 4, 1, David Wilkerson wrote this. He said, the church of forgiveness only says, listen, Lord, you don't have to provide us with clothes. We'll make our own and clothe ourselves. These would-be brides, he says, have no desire to submit to the authority of the husband. They don't want to live under the same roof with him, nor are they interested in his needs. Let me interrupt this because this is a really good quote that David Wilkerson is giving as a commentary on this verse and what it means for us in this late hour. You know, when we serve God, don't you know it does his heart good as we engage in a relationship with him, just like it does a man's heart good when he has a beautiful wife who engages in an actual relationship with him. In fact, Proverbs 31 says of the husband who is married to the virtuous woman that his heart does safely trust in her. I believe that's what it says. Let's take a look at it because there's two things that we read concerning the Proverbs 31 virtuous woman. By the way, we have a very popular audio set. I believe it's all put into a video too called Proverbs 31. Just put in Proverbs 31 on the search engine on safeguardyoursoul.com and many women have written. You'll see their comments too and reviews of that series. It's absolutely been life-changing because it's the Word of God. Verse 10 is where the Proverbs 31 virtuous woman begins. Leading up to that point, I want to make mention of this. Lemuel's mother, King Lemuel, his blessed wise mother said, Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that 
that which destroyeth kings. She's talking to her son. This is a godly woman, and godly women instruct their sons and prepare them to be the men of their households, never to use that authority to do anything but protect, provide, cherish, nourish, and bless. As Jesus, the great bridegroom of heaven, who cherishes and protects and feeds and provides for in every way, spiritually, physically, in every way for his blessed bride, the body of Christ, Ephesians 5, Revelation 19, etc. So give not thy strength to women. What does that mean? That's a deeper meaning than we can get into right here. But don't give your strength to women, gentlemen. You're the head of the house. You're there to be the masculine. You wear the pants, as the saying says, and God wants to forge your backbone with steel so that you're a man of steel and velvet. Never give over your role to the woman. That's a weak Ahabish man, which Jesus condemns primarily above even the Jezebel they allowed to operate in Revelation 2, 20-24 in the Thyatiran church. We got lots of that on that topic on safeguardyoursoul.com. Just look up the Jezebel category, or you can just say safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash Jezebel and hit return, and you're going to see a cash, a large resource on that topic. So don't give your strength to women. Be the man, be loving, be kind and wise about it, but you're the head of the house, non-negotiably. And any woman that's trying to manipulate or control you or subvert that place of authority invested in you by Christ himself, non-negotiably, she's trying to usurp that place, is a Jezebel. And God is not going to have one Jezebel in heaven. That means you need to repent. And if you're an Ahab, a weak moral coward, that was the husband of Jezebel who allowed her to manipulate and all her witchcrafts, etc. Second Kings 9.33. Anyway, he was to blame as well as, if not more than her, just as the church leaders in Thyatira were for allowing a woman to function outside of the role God ordained her to function in the church world. See, order. God has order in his family. Doesn't matter what anybody says. The Bible says, suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. That doesn't mean women don't say things at times that we can learn from, but they're not to stand over in authority in a plate. That's the governing truth there. And teach the men. You don't like it? You got a problem with God. Shut your mouth and go get before God and repent. So Proverbs 31, beginning in verse 10, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. Doesn't it do the father and the Lord Jesus, the bridegroom of heaven, good like this husband here, that he can safely trust in his remnant disciples to love him, to obey him. John 14, 21 through 23. That's the people that Jesus said he's going to manifest himself to. His presence pervades, I believe that's a good word, emanates from their lives. The Father and Jesus actually manifest daily their great presence, anointing, their wisdom, etc. in the lives of those who truly walk with them. You know, a lot of people trying to get God to move and going and getting together like a big group and, you know, singing and, you know, almost like those people who do yoga that put their fingers together and concentrate and all this witchcraft and stuff. But Jesus said he's going to manifest himself to those that hear his commandments and keeps them. It's real practical, folks. God's waiting on you to obey him, to have a real relationship with him. In the next chapter, John 15, he talks about the abiding relationship. And if you don't abide or remain like these seven women who were basically looking for an arrangement in our main passage today, and like the five foolish virgins, you're not going to get the prize at the end, folks. God's blessings 
things are conditional, not unconditional. He that hath my commandments, you got to study them and read them to get them, right? Yeah. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, obey the word of God. He it is that loveth me. See, do we really love Jesus or do we have just kind of this detached arrangement with him? Oh boy, we're on the wrong side of this prophecy of Isaiah 4.1, if that's the case. And he that loveth me, Jesus said, loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And then verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words. If you're not obeying the word of God, you don't love Jesus. I mean, how many Christians do you know, so-called professing Christians, that are even concerned about learning the word of God, meditating upon it, speaking it, and obeying it? That'll tell you just how many percentage of those who profess to know God actually know him. If a man love me, John 14, 23, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. How many people know Jesus is camping out and dwelling big in those that actually love him and have a relationship with him, not in arrangement? A lot of people are shacked up with women these days that they're not married to, and they're committing fornication, and they're as sure for hell as if they were already there. And if you're listening to me and that's you, God's calling you to repent and take that woman to the altar. It doesn't have to be a $10,000 wedding, because whether it costs you nothing or a million dollars doesn't change what's important. And that's that you're saying, Lord, this is my wife, and she's agreeing that you're her husband. It's time to pull the trigger, put an axe to the root and marry her. All right. So who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. Jesus is warmed and the father by those who, it's not that he trusts us, but he does enjoy the benefits that come only from a very intimate monogamous relationship, just as the husband does when he has a beautiful wife that he can safely trust in so that they have no need of spoil. He doesn't have to worry about her being a keeper at home, Titus 2.5, as God said women are to be. But I've got to work. Woman, your job is to be a keeper at home if you're a married woman. If you're going to be married, that's your place. That doesn't mean as we can read this whole chapter and we go into depth on in the series Proverbs 31 Woman, that there's not all kinds of other stuff that the virtuous woman does. There's all kinds of stuff. She sells, buys and sells real estate. She makes clothes. She does all. This woman was extremely industrious. But God's going to hold that woman, every woman, every woman that's married to account on that final day when we stand before him for whether or not they were keeping the home, taking care of the husband in this order and the children in every way. A good woman, a good disciple, a true possessor of a relationship with Christ is given over to the great bridegroom and spends time with him, talking to him. How can we say we love God? We don't have time for God. He's a second class citizen. We get up and run, man. We're going to work. We didn't have enough love for Jesus to get up early and spend time with him. See, a good wife does that. She gets up early. She's prepared. She takes care of her husband in every intimate way. There's a lady on social media called the Transformed Wife. Her name's Lori Alexander. I mean, her stuff on womanhood is absolutely profound. I highly recommend it. She, the true possessor of a relationship with her husband, will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. He doesn't have to worry. She's a woman that stands by her man in every way. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. Anyway, it goes on. All right, so let's pop on back to here. David Wilkerson of, speaking of uh, Isaiah 4, verse 1, seven women shall take hold of one man. And getting into what that really speaks of, 
Notice they don't want to know his heart. That is the mere professor, those seven women represented here, and also that this would go for the five foolish virgins. They don't want to get to know the heart of the great bridegroom or their husband or care about his concerns. See, we're only caring about our own concerns. I have a feeling a lot of times we don't care how Jesus feels that we just profess that he's our Lord, but we don't spend time with him. We don't minister before him and tell him we love him. So David Wilkinson says they are totally consumed with self. That's the counterfeits, the seven women who take hold of one man because they just want the reproach removed, but they don't want a real relationship. Friends, do we not realize that this is all about a personal relationship with Jesus and the Father? Is the only thing we have in mind is getting out of hell? This should cause us to prompt, uh, be prompted to examine ourselves, whether we really be in the faith, you know, as versus just trying to use Jesus to get out of hell. If we love him, we will obey him, right? John 14, 15 and 15, 14. We'll keep his commandments. We'll follow him. We'll delight in him. His commandments are not grievous to us. First John 5, 3. Why? Because we have chosen to love him. And when you love someone, when you're married to someone, that doesn't mean every day is on the mountaintop. You got to pray through. You got to work through it. That's a person, though, that God's put in your life to serve 24-7. Whether you're praying for them, you're washing their clothes, you're fixing their cars, gentlemen, you're protecting them, providing for them. That's a gift from God to lay up treasure in heaven. That person is a gift from God. They're the opportunity that Jesus is watching. He gave you that opportunity, and he's watching how you're stewarding every minute. Let me throw this in there. ABS, always be serving. Philippians 2, 3 through 5, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, in other words, for self, but in lowliness of mind, let every each of us prefer the other above ourselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. See, that's how you follow Jesus. I want you to read that those three verses, Philippians 2, 3 through 5, every day this week. It's going to change your life, my friend. So David Wilkerson continues about these seven women who take hold of one man. He says, they are totally consumed with self, with having their reproach removed. So they have as little contact with this husband as possible. Maybe one hour a week, think about it. Well, I go to church. How many people have just pigeonholed their so-called relationship with Jesus into this one hour where they go and don't even get convicted? It's all a big circus. It's a business, folks. Wake up. It's not the Father's business. It's people that are making merchandise of you. They're false prophets in most cases. He continues, is there any intimacy, love, companionship, submission in this arrangement? No. Is there any clinging to him? No. Do they desire to spend hours in his presence in secret, sharing his very heart? No. They spend most of their time, he says, with other loves, such as sports, TV, theater. I mean, they have all the time in the world for all that. Don't want to be bothered with spending time with this Savior they say they love. So he continues, uh, they spend all their time with other loves, because Jesus is not their first love, such as sports, TV, theater, pleasures of all kinds. Without exception, such Christians always turn to a self-centered gospel. That's why they go to these false churches, because they don't want to repent. Men love darkness rather than light, unfortunately, Jesus said, because their deeds are evil and they don't want to change. So here's more from David Wilkerson on this seven women shall take hold of one man. He says, Scripture always refers to the church in the feminine gender in many cases as a bride. The seven would-be brides, Isaiah mentions here in chapter 4, verse 1, are clearly a type of the characteristics of many in these 
last days, these seven would-be brides are seeking to lay hold of one man whom I take to be Christ, he says. David Wilkerson continues, yet these brides are not interested in loving him. On the contrary, they only have one thing in their mind, and that's the removal of their reproach. We will eat our own bread. We will wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach, to take away the scorn of remaining with our last name, not being married, not having children. So we'll stop right there with a quote from David Wilkerson. Today, Today, those with a mere outward form of godliness, 2 Timothy 3, who are lovers of their own selves and lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, refuse to endure or hold themselves accountable to sound doctrine, but rather they want smooth things. Isaiah 30, verse 9 and 10, where the counterfeits told the prophets, the leaders of Israel, give us smooth things. Don't be preaching conviction to us, repentance, the cross, the crucified life, laying down our lives loving Christ with our whole heart, hating this present world, and loving far less our own family members than we love him. We don't want to hear all this stuff. We don't want to hear about hell and judgment to come. Give us smooth things. Isaiah 30, verse 9 and 10. That's exactly what Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 2 Timothy 3 and 4, where he says in chapter 4, to preach the word, he told Timothy. That's what every man of God truly does. A true man of God just preaches the word the actual word of God. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure, hold themselves accountable to sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. See, because they're unrepentant. It's after their own lust. Why do they have lust in their heart instead of love for God? It's because they have not truly repented. Now, they may have in the past, but they have departed from the faith. This seems to be what is prophetically conveyed here through the prophet Isaiah in these last days. This is one of many counterparts in the New Testament. Paul foretold of these last days where he says, perilous times shall come and as we know are here now before us upon whom the ends of the world are come. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now we're going to talk about the true professors of a relationship with Jesus here as we finish in a minute, but let's take a look at this resume of the last days the Holy Spirit gives us through Paul in a few verses here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men, and he goes into detail, for men shall be what? Lovers of their own selves. Wow. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form, a mere formula of godliness, but denying the power or the authority of the Lordship of Christ, that is, but denying the power thereof, turn away, get away from them, come out from among them, be ye separate, 2 Corinthians 6, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lust, ever learning and never able to come into the knowledge of the truth. This describes those uh, seven women who take hold of one man. John Wesley of this truth in Isaiah 4.1 said this, In that day, 
that is, in that calamitous time, seven means many. He says, a certain number for an uncertain one man, because few men shall survive the dreadful stroke, only owns us for thy wives. Our reproach speaks of virginity, was esteemed a reproach. Children, the usual fruit of marriage, being both an honor to their parents and a blessing of God, especially to that people from some of whose loins the Messiah was to spring. This is an added back in Israel reason why there was such a reproach on being unmarried and not having children is that you could have, they anticipated, I guess, the Jewish women possibly being used of God to fulfill their duty in the coming Messiah. The long lineage of women all the way from Adam and Abraham to the birth of Jesus to Joseph and Mary. So ignoring the inconvenient truth concerning readiness for Christ's return will bring irrevocable damnation. Hell is right now filled with those who ignored the warning signs. They didn't become wise virgin believers by waiting upon, by seeking, by loving and obeying the great bridegroom. While on earth, they refused to stop their life and look toward their maker to make things right with him. When he drew them, they snubbed him, relishing their darkness rather than his light and love. Frank Telford, friend of mine, good brother in Christ, wrote this. He says, when Jesus came to the earth the first time, his people were completely unprepared and did not recognize their Messiah was with them. But there were three wise men, or it says wise men, who did recognize he was there. They were not wise because of their intellect. They were wise because they were watching and praying, paying attention to the signs of the times. Jesus then told us his second return would be met with both wise and foolish brides. The difference between the two is the wise are prepared and are waiting and watching. The foolish are paying no attention at all and are caught up living their best life now. Out of 10, Jesus said, five are wise and five are foolish. That would mean half of the church today is completely unprepared. He finishes, Frank finishes, he says, so ask yourself a question. Am I being wise or am I being foolish? Because there are consequences for our action, unquote, Brother Frank Telford. So saints, we must make no mistake. The great bridegroom of heaven is not coming back for a lukewarm and uninvolved casual love, if you will, type arrangement bride instead of intimate bride, who only want the reproach of their sin removed, yet they don't want to give themselves to the great bridegroom. He's not returning for those who treat him like a second-class citizen, a mere hobby, casually getting around to communing with him. No, the Son of God from heaven is coming out of the eastern sky for his bride. Those wise virgin saints who are in love with him, they pant after him, they cry unto him, they abide in him, they sit at his feet and learn of him. So there is a possessor church, if you will. We talked about the professors. Let's talk about as we finish the possessors. Notice the book of Isaiah chapter 4 continues the next verse after the one about the seven brides who cry out for one man, the seven women who take hold of one man. It says this in verse 2, In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. Blessings come from those who escape from Israel, escape 
from the counterfeits, the tares, the wheat are going to escape from them. And the wheat, the difference is that the wheat bear fruit. They look, the tare looks just like the wheat, but there's a difference. There's fruit that comes out of the relationship that the the wheat representing the remnant saints of Christ who have a real relationship with them, they actually bear fruit. And that's the difference. So we should ask ourselves, as Brother Frank pointed out, what is the fruit of our lives? What is it looking like in relation to what we're seeing here in the scriptures and is throughout the Holy Scriptures? Are we willing to repent and cry out to Jesus today to make us 100% authentic before him? How about a fast, friends? When's the last time you schedule a fast? And you should be fasting every week. I know a lot of people like to once in a while fast. That's fine. You know, I mean, I'm not going to get nitpick. I mean, it's not my business really, but I find personally in case this helps anybody that if I fast on a regular basis, it keeps the flesh crucified because we all know the flesh is going to run its course and do its evil unless it's made to die. And that's what the cross is all about. Notice them that are escaped of Israel, escaped are separated. They choose to be separate. They come out from among the rebellious, the mere professors. They're not going to be a part of a church country club with a bunch of lukewarm people that Jesus said he's going to spew out of their mouth. This is the true remnant body of Christ, and they are beautiful and glorious, and it's going to be excellent glory for them. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? John 15. So the branch here would represent the body of Christ, and that beautiful bride adorned for the bridegroom, I believe that's Revelation 19, is going to be beautiful and glorious and it's going to be great fruit in their lives now and then eternally and they're escaped of israel notice that term also appears in isaiah the same book verse 37 31 notice what the key is to escaping the counterfeit notice and the remnant that means a small residue jesus said the father's flock is a quote small or little flock luke 12 32 and the remnant or the residue in other words of the many who were supposed to be following god there were only a few that truly were following God. They were possessors, not just mere professors. And the remnant that has escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. And there's the cross right there that is at the center of the original gospel. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And he said, it's daily. It's not a hobby like these seven women that took hold of a man and didn't want any involvement with him. It's every day. It's a love affair. When you take root down with you, when you decide it's going to be Jesus reigning in your life, not you, and cry out to him with John the Baptist, that Father, Lord Jesus, you must increase but I must decrease. You're taking root downward. You're saying with Paul, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You're taking root downward when you deny yourself. You say with Colossians 3.3, I am dead and my life is hid with Christ and God. I am no longer my own. I am bought with a price, the very price of the precious blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 
Romans 6, 19 to 20. And when you do that, you're dead and buried. You're going to bear fruit upward. See, that's the resurrection that Jesus brings. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he raises you upward when you decide to obey him and say, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you reigning in my life, not my will, but yours be done, O God. That ought to be easy, folks. I mean, how much trouble does is it going to take? How much trouble, misery, guilt, shame have we endured by doing things our own way? Uh, just a little food for thought there. So them that are escaped of Israel uh, refers to those who come out of her. That is, they come out from among the tares, the counterfeit, the mere professors, to be serving God and yet aren't, or the professors are supposed to be serving God and aren't. But they come out, the remnant church comes out of them. Those who escape the judgment to come upon all hypocrites are taking root downward, saints, Isaiah 37, 31, and they're bearing fruit upward. In other words, the Lord is raising them up in his power. This is the only way the Christian life works. You can't live the Christian life. Only Christ can do that, and he does that by raising you up out of that posture and that heart that submits to dying, death, and burial. God's not going to raise up anybody who's not dead and buried. It's, and that involves complying with Christ, being crucified, dead to the self-life, the self-will, the self-agenda, buried and raised up by Christ. And you're going to bear fruit upward, not only in this earth, but eternally, according to the rest of this short chapter here, Isaiah 4, you can read it. Eternal resurrection blessings untold await those who are what? Here's the words of Jesus in Luke 21, 36, who are accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And only a remnant will remain. And that's what Isaiah is saying here in the fourth chapter of Isaiah, that God will bring us through all of these things that are going to come to pass as we close. He says, the spirit of judgment is going to bring us through and the spirit of burning. Now, notice, let's read verse 3, Isaiah 4, and it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. The other ones, I guess, are going to be removed. Even every one of them written among the living in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. There's coming a great separation, folks, and those that love the Lord are purifying themselves, even as he is pure, 1 John 3, 3, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem, or the blood guilt, the guilt of sin, from the midst thereof, by the spirit of judgment, notice, and by the spirit of burning, by the spirit of judgment, and by the spirit of burning. There are fires coming, and fires always separate the gold from the dross, the dross from the gold. And then he says, as he finishes here in this chapter, and the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of the flaming fire by night for upon all the glory shall be a defense and there shall be a tabernacle for the shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert from the storm and the rain. This speaks of the great new Jerusalem where we're going to be under daddy's care, the father and Jesus. Revelation 21 and completely safe, no fear. Whoso 
hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. Proverbs 133, Psalm 91, 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When you're walking with the Prince of Peace, you have peace, but there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Isaiah 57, 21. Daniel 11, 35, speaking of these last days, and some of them prophetically, it's speaking of where we are now and what's coming up in the literally the days ahead for us in this last hour before our Lord's return to resume the authority of his earth and to punish all rebels. Daniel 11, 35, first of all, verse 32, he says, they that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. God's going to use those who do know him as we're talking about today in this message about having, possessing a real relationship with Jesus. And such as do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt by flatteries. That is the Antichrist is going to corrupt people by flatteries because they paid more attention to him than Jesus. They committed spiritual adultery. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Are you learning the word and walking with God? Because God wants you to, so you can instruct many in these final days. Yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame. This is God's people. By captivity and by spoil. Revelation tells us these things, that some will be martyred. And by spoil many days, we're going to suffer. Some are going to suffer death. Some are going to be thrown into jail, prison, as many have. In fact, many of Paul's letters were written from jail unjustly. Revelation 2.10, for example. Then he says here, verse 34, Daniel 11. Now, when they shall fall, they shall be hoping or helped with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. That sounds like the false professors who cleave to them. They cleave to the true body of Christ with flatteries. They give flattering speech. They give lip service only, but their hearts are far from the bridegroom, Jesus. That's why they don't obey him, seek him, love him, and lay down their lives for him because he's not important enough and they will perish. Verse 35, the last verse here in this chapter, and some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge. Notice to purge. This is God's people. And to make them white even to the time of the end because it is yet for a time appointed. See, this going to, listen, it came to me today when I was driving to do an errand. We must continue to submit ourselves to him that judges righteously. I believe that's 1 Peter 2.23. We must continue to submit ourselves to him, folks. Sometimes it can be discouraging because our flesh wants to do evil. Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. I'm kidding. That's all of us. We have the fallen Adamic nature that has to be crucified every day. And sometimes we don't do that well. And we are brought back to our knees and to cry out to Jesus. And we just must continue. I think this verse speaks to that. And some of them of understanding, that's his God's people, shall fall. Sometimes we fall, right? To try, to try them, to test them, to purge. Notice, and to purge. God uses all these things. And to make them white, purified garments. Revelation 19, 7 through 10. They washed their garments in the blood of a lamb. Even to the time of the end. You got to endure to the end, folks. The scripture says in Galatians 6, 9, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And then here we, let's finish with this first. Daniel 12, 10, many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. You see, this is part of the process. The righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up according to the book of Proverbs, right? And remember, the way we die is how we're going to be forever. Revelation 22, 11, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he that is filthy, let him be 
filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according to his work shall be. So we must individually ask ourselves, am I a mere professor? Do I have a mere form of godliness, or do I possess? Am I possessed by the Lord and have a real relationship with the bridegroom? Only you can decide, friend. May God grant us grace, his divine enablement in each of our hearts. May he unite our hearts, as the psalmist prayed, to fear his holy name, to truly repent. Father, we pray that you grant our hearts the gift of repentance, Lord, and that you would break us to the core of our being, Lord, and let us bless us to be absolutely genuine and authentically in love with you and your disciples in Jesus' name. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several, many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and you're your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.